I want to introduce you all to a friend of mine that I debated against in high school named Martin Allen. Martin and I reestablished relationship about three years ago. He teaches at the Shallow Water Baptist Church, First Baptist Church Shallow Water in Shallow Water, Texas, which is a suburb of Lubbock, I like to say. <laughs> Bedroom community, he says. Um, uh, I want him to tell you how we plugged in and what he does relative, well, Talk, you have three minutes. Go. Three minutes. All right. Where are the flashcards? I need some time cards here. I got them. All right. Uh, like Mark said, we debated against each other in high school. Um, I was told that you were talking about this yesterday to some folks and that you said, yeah, we beat them all the time. And he did beat us every time, but he beat everybody every time. No, no surprise there. But we reconnected and uh, I found uh, Mark's material through a mutual friend uh, who works at the tech law school. And I started looking at this material that you guys use or that you participate in in your class. And I thought, you know, that's exactly what we need in our church. So I started teaching church history in my Sunday school class. My Sunday school class, though, is only about, at the time, about 20 people. And once we started teaching this material, we're up to about 50 people now. So we're like this little section over there. And it's really great. Um, and I have another friend who teaches this material. He teaches the life of Paul, and that's in a second Sunday school class. So our church, in two separate adult Sunday school classes, uses this material, the resources that you guys have all helped put together. And I just want to thank all of you for that, because we have all the people and the families in our church that are being impacted by all the efforts from everyone in your Sunday school class. So thank you very much. It's been really great for us. I appreciate you. Webster, don't drop that, buddy. <clears throat> it's kind of cool. And so if you're ever in Lubbock on a weekend, you need to go to Martin's Sunday School class out in Shallow Water, First Baptist Church, Shallow Water, Texas. And Martin, we're honored. Martin had, uh, I think you're on the school board, was it? Uh, meeting here in Houston this week, and so he uh, stayed over to come to our class today. And so if you get a chance, be sure and say hi to him. Well, I've been dreading this class. <clears throat> That's not the way you're ever supposed to start something. I've been dreading this class for some time because um, I'm convinced that I'm going to upset a number of people either in here or who listen or watch this on the internet with this class. But hey, I love you guys. You guys hopefully love me. And you know, what's a relationship if you can't get upset with each other and still love each other? So we're going to do this class anyway, because this is just where I am. I emailed it out to 30 people or so who read this class I only had three of the 30 email me back and say, I really disagree with you, which means 10%. It's not bad. Uh, there were 27 people who said, I'm not talking to you anymore. <laughs> but they didn't say it's because they disagreed with me. So what is a human? My tendency, the first time I made this slide is to say, what is a man? But, but. While man is a good generic word, uh, this applies to women, okay? So what's a man? What's a woman? What is a human? What, as we've talked about who, but, but what are you? What are you made of? 
When I was uh, growing up in Lubbock, I was in high school. I went uh, to hear who turned out to be, even to this day, one of my favorite preachers, a uh, favorite preacher we share, uh, who um, gave a lesson on the idea that we are made up as a human of a body and a soul and a spirit. He used as his main verse, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, where Paul said, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this gentleman who who subsequently became a a good friend of mine uh, explained that Paul is saying here, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and then says whole spirit, soul, and body. So the complete person is spirit and soul and body. And he went from there uh, looking at spirit, soul, and body and he connected this verse to Genesis 2-7. In Genesis 2-7 it says, And Jehovah God formed man of the dust of the ground... And breathed into his nostrils. And the word breathed is uh, the concept of spirit as well. Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living soul. And so the preacher explained that the dust is the body. God formed the body. This breath or the spirit God breathed into the body. And the body with spirit becomes a living soul. I thought, caramba, this is fantastic. This is so cool. And now I'm beginning to understand this stuff. And and he, he went up further and he said, don't you know in Genesis when God told Adam that the day you eat of the, well, let's do it this way first. He drew circles. He threw three of them. Concentric circles, one around the other. And he said, with these circles, you've got your body, your soul, and you've got your spirit. And when God told Adam, on the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll surely die. He said, think about it. The day they ate, they didn't die. They lived, Adam lived 900 and some odd years. So he died spiritually. And it was a spiritual death that day. And until Pentecost, when God breathes his spirit back into man, man is dead in his sins and trespasses. And so man lives as a soul being out of his soul or a bodily being out of his body and does not live the spiritual life he should. And when we get reborn in the spirit, the problem is, how do we learn to follow the spirit instead of the flesh? And uh, uh, there's another diagram that's that's been put to to use with this, that the body is the, uh, uh, you know, your senses of smell and touch and, and your mind and how you process things. The soul is the heart that feels and, and has emotion or, or desire. And the spirit is, is something from God uh, into your spirit that you can either live out of your brain or you can live out of your spirit. 
I, I was eating this stuff up. I thought this was great stuff. And I was reading books like Jesse Penn Lewis, War on the Saints, or Souls and Spirit. And I was, was, was finding it fascinating and, and, and incredible to understand that, that it's a, a, a spirit thing. It's not my body. It's not my soul that I want to live after. And I'm searching for God's spirit. Is it that inner voice? Is it the, you know, how do we do this? So in 1982, I'm teaching uh, uh, in the college ministry at uh, Texas Tech. And I teach on Wednesday nights, and I've got maybe 125 or so college students. And Charles Mickey, who was here last week, uh, who uh, is one of the readers of my lessons uh, before I teach him here, uh, Charles was the college minister at that point in time. And I said to Charles, I said, hey, I'm real excited. I want to teach a six-week series on spirit, soul, and body. And I laid all of this stuff at his feet. Now, Charles has an undergraduate degree in biblical languages. He has a master's degree in Greek. And he has all of the Ph.D. hours in religious studies, though he never finished the dissertation. And Charles said to me, Mark... This is the church where we were. It's not that simple. And he said it with great humility and he said it with great um, compassion and very gentle. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you have, and I did at that time, a degree in Greek and Hebrew, right? And I said, right. He said, have you ever studied this in the Greek and Hebrew? I said, well, not really. He said, here, go read this book. Paul's Anthropological Terms by Robert Jewett. This is like, uh, this is a real book. I mean, this is like, this, this, is, this, is, this is a serious book. I need to give this back to him, by the way. <clears throat> and I will as soon as I read it. <laughs> um, now, that's, that's my coffee. He's right. I did not teach the class until today. And I've learned since then, it's not so simple. And we've spent four or five weeks getting ready for today because, for example, last week when we looked at the word soul, you can't take, I don't believe, the biblical word soul and make it look like it does on that chart if you're really going to use the whole Bible. If you're going to use the Deuteronomy 12:20 passage that says the soul craves meat talking about you'll be able to eat meat well maybe you're saying yeah it's the soul is the source of desire well no when I'm hungry for a piece of meat that's not my soul that's my body okay I mean it just is um, 
the soul is supposed to be subject to governing authorities. If you're reading the Greek of Paul in Romans 12. The soul. Well, officer, I'm sorry I was speeding. In my soul, I was going under the speed limit. And I have no obligation with my body. I'm a biblical man. And as a biblical man, my soul is subject to your authority. But you have no reign over my body. Epaphroditus, if we're reading in the Greek, risk his soul for Paul. And we're supposed to read that and think Paul in the Bible, when you talk about soul, means he risked his emotions and his heart for Paul, his will. No, it means he risked his life, who he was. Paul did not use those terms in a segregated sense any more than the rest of Scripture did in the sense of us being made up as three people, I believe. When Paul told slaves to do the will of God, he says, if you're reading it in Greek, to do it from the soul. Well, does that mean slaves when their masters say, hey, uh, I want you to, you know, go out and, and take the oxen and plow that field? Well, according to Brother Paul... All I have to do is do that within my heart. No. Does Paul mean, okay, you obey, but not with your spirit, not in a godly sense? No. Now, if I ask you the question, then biblically speaking, what is man? What is woman? What are humans? I think in this group today, I could divide you into three categories. You tell me which one you fall in. One, I never really thought about this three-part thing before. And there may be some of you who are in that camp. And if you hadn't, I don't think I will offend you today. I think we'll just talk about some things that maybe uh, you hadn't thought about before and might be useful. Or maybe you're a tripartite is the word used, a a three-part thinker. Who says man's divided into three parts, spirit, soul, and body. It says it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It says it in Genesis 2 to 7. That's the way man is, divided into three parts. And then there are those who say, nah, that three-part thing, that's not right. Okay, I'm in this last camp. If you're in that middle camp, don't stone me. Don't change your mind simply because I don't agree with you. Think about it, study it, pray about it. I could be wrong. I've changed my mind on this issue through my study. I used to be a three-parter. And I was this close to teaching it when Charles said, not so simple. And I put it on the back burner for 27 years. And over that 27 years, I've chewed on it and I've changed. And it's not a recent change, but it was a gradual change. And so I want to talk to you about it today. And I want to try and at least recognizing that I'm presenting material that probably flies in the face of what many of you believe. 
I want to, in a spirit of humility, recognizing that I am not the answer man, share with you still why I am where I am on this in hopes that you and I at least agree on the, the, the points for home because the points for home are very important to me and I think they are to you. So that's what's set before us. We've got 31 minutes. Okay. Fasten your seatbelts because we're going to take off. Scripture, math or context, which one shall it be? When we understand scripture, do we understand it in the sense of mathematics or in the sense of reading carefully the context? Let me, let me draw some examples. Uh, my algebra teacher would be very upset with me for using a pen to teach mathematics. That's not the way it's ever done, she said. And she talked just like that. <laughs> Okay, A equals B. If that's true, if A is the same as B, then every time we see B, we could very easily instead put in what? An A. And we learned that in math because if, for example, um, A equals B and we know that B plus 1 equals 7, then what is A? 6. And how did we get A equals 6? Because B and A are the same thing. So we can just take that B out and put an A there. And we know A plus 1 equals 7. So A, see that's why you, <laughs> now she's saying, I told you so. A equals 6. You with me? That's the substitute theory is what they called it when I was in school of mathematics. You can substitute one equal thing to another, right? It works. It's math. It all, it, as sure as 2 plus 2 is 4, that works. The problem that I want to discuss with you is when we take the mathematics principle of substitution and use it in our Bible study and let it trump reading Scripture in context. I've actually had someone in this class come to me and ask me about this passage. And it was a very good question that they asked me. I want to know if you've ever thought of it. If it's on page four of your lesson. And I'll put it up here so you don't have to flip to see it. Look what happens when you use the substitute theory of mathematics instead of reading scripture in context. James 1, 13 through 14. Let no one say... When he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God because God can't be tempted with evil and God doesn't tempt anybody. 
But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Okay, I mean, look at that. Tempted. I am being tempted by God. God cannot be tempted. Now let's use the substitution theory of mathematics and look at Matthew 4.1. Jesus was led up by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Led up by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. Under the substitute theory, we know that he wasn't tempted by God. So the spirit that led him to be tempted must not be God. And he's to be tempted by the devil, but God can't be tempted. So if Jesus was tempted, Jesus must not be God. Do we draw those conclusions? No. Absolutely not. Because we don't use the substitute theory of mathematics when we read the Bible. We read the Bible in context to understand what James is saying and understand what Matthew recounted about the life of Christ. James is not talking about Jesus. He's not talking about, you know, James is saying when you have a choice between cheating on your income tax or not cheating on your income tax. When you fill up your car with gas and you go 10 cents over what you said you were going to do and what you paid for, you have a temptation in front of you and don't blame God for you wanting to change what you put down on your income tax return. The reason you're tempted not to tell the truth on that is because your own desire is to put that money in your pocket instead of Uncle Sam's. And God's not tempted to cheat on his income tax return. So you can't say, well, I'm just like God. That's what James is saying in context. Matthew's saying that Jesus Christ, fully human, was led by the wilderness to see if Satan could convince him to detour from God's plan and use instead either Satan's or Jesus' own independent plan. And that's what it is. Now, sometimes the substitute theory works. Sometimes it does work. Look at these John passages I've pulled out. John says, beloved, let us love. That's going to be our substitute word. Love one another. Love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And he also says this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Substitute theory. Love is from God. If we love, we're born of God. And we know then that we're born of God if we love our brother. 
We love because he first loved us. Substitute theory. We know that works. Greater love has no man than to lay down his life for his friends. Substitute theory. We know Jesus loves us because he laid down his life for us. Now, the substitute theory works a lot better there because, A, it's the same guy who uses the same vocabulary and who's driving home the same message. And if you read it in context, the context is the same. But what we've got to do and what we've got to be careful of is when we read Scripture, we want to read Scripture not as a mathematics textbook, but as a piece of, I mean, God gave us his divine word through dozens of different people, his Holy Spirit working through them, not only for each word of scripture. Now, is this Mark? Are you saying you don't believe every word of scripture? Oh, heavens, of course I do. Absolutely do. But I believe God put them within a time frame and a context and it obligates me as a student who is going to follow Paul's admonition to diligently study the word of God. It requires me to read it within context. I cannot simply take the passage Judas went out and hung himself and link it to go thou and do likewise. You, you just, you read it within context to understand what's being said. So now, if that's the case, and we're going to say read it within context, what do we make of 1 Thessalonians 5.23? 1 Thessalonians 5.23, may God sanctify you. Let's put it up and we'll see it together. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, first of all, I'll tell you completely is not talking about all that you are. It's talking in the sense that I'm going to say you're all... Completely does not define or describe spirit, soul, and body. It defines how God should sanctify you. May God sanctify you completely, fully, wholly, totally, yes. Spirit, soul, and body. Yes, he uses those three different terms. But it doesn't mean that that is all that you are. It's Paul saying over and over again, may God sanctify you completely in spirit. May God sanctify you completely, your whole body. Your body is everything. The way Paul uses the word. We, we spent a Sunday on that. Your soul, he, he means by soul, who you are as a living being. May God sanctify you totally as to who you are. This is very similar to the way Paul writes in uh, uh, Colossians. You remember Colossians 3.17? David hadn't gotten there yet, but he will. God willing. Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. See, Paul uses three different ways of saying everything. He says, whatever you do. Whether it's something you're saying, something you're doing. 
Now, does that mean that there's nothing you think? Well, no. Is Paul leaving out? Uh, I don't have to think that way. Because Paul just says either something I'm, I'm saying or something I'm doing. No, he's saying whatever, word or deed, do everything. He's triply emphatic. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's the way Paul writes. That's the way scripture writes. Look at the Deuteronomy passage that I challenged you on last week. Your homework was how does this passage fit with what I'm going to teach? Jesus We'll quote this as we'll see in a minute. But let's start with the Deuteronomy passage. Hear, O Israel, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's the Shema that a good Jew would say three times a day. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Well, are we to, does that mean that we're three parts? We're heart Soul and might, heart, soul, and might. Well, I can see how some might say might means body. But no, your might is is more than your physical might. You've got your willpower, your emotional might. Some might say, well, soul is soul. But those same diagrams that we were talking about say that your heart is your soul. So is God saying you don't have to love him with the spirit? I mean, does, does this mean that man is made up of only these three things when we read it like this? No, it doesn't. It means you're supposed to love your God with everything that you are. Everything that you think, everything that you feel, everything that you do. Totally, totally, totally. And if you doubt me for the meaning of it, then look at the way Jesus quotes it in Mark twelve thirty. Jesus quotes it in Mark 12.30 and adds a word. And it's not because he has the right to add it since he is the author of Scripture as God. He's adding it so we more readily understand what it means. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus is inserting the word mind not because he can't remember his Scripture... But because that's just part of it. He's just being expansive. He's saying it with everything that you are. With all of your heart. With all of your soul. With all of your mind. With all of your strength. He could have said with all of your willpower. He could have said with all of your heart. With all of your emotions. He could have said with every step you take. With every word you breathe. And he's, he's just explaining the scripture. This is not a statement that man's made up of four parts. It's, and, and so what Paul has done is he said, May the God of peace sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body. Okay. Now, that's, that's, that's what's happening here. And one of my friends who read the lesson, who uh, preaches, sent me an email. And he said, but no, 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 no. He says, this works really good. He says, look. He says, um, uh, um, it fits that God 
is three persons. And so God made us in his image. And so we must be three parts. Body. Soul. Spirit. And he said the body, God, or the spirit, we are justified immediately in the spirit. Justified now. We're being um, sanctified. Sanctified. Um, progressively. Day by day. And our body will be glorified. In the future. Mm-hmm. Well. I don't think that's um, scriptural. Maybe right, but I mean, scripture doesn't teach it. Let me say it that way. God is three persons. That doesn't mean when I'm made in his image that I'm three persons. And I've got some schizophrenic friends who might say, hey, you know, you're, you know about the guy who went to the doctor, the psychologist and said, doctor, I'm schizophrenic. Psychologist said, well, come on in. That makes four of us. Okay. God's three persons that I made in his image doesn't mean I'm three persons. And Paul doesn't say that we're justified in the spirit now. Neither does anything else in the Bible while saying at the same time we're progressively being sanctified. In fact, he says in 1 Corinthians 6 that we're sanctified, past tense, just as we're justified. This division is not... Look, let me tell you where I land on this. I land on this where David Fleming's sermon was today. just seems to fit his sermon with this lesson like a puzzle. Perfect lock. Because the answer to the question, what is a human... Is not the the Bible just doesn't draw these clear lines that allow us to put together this clear little formula of three parts. It doesn't. So what is a human? That question is asked in my one of my favorite chapters of the Bible, Psalm 8. The psalm starts out, remember, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you've established, what is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? What is man? Look at the answer. You've made him a little lower than all the angels and crowned him with glory to rule over your creation. You crowned him with glory. Under his feet, you put the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, and what passes through the seed. Oh, Lord, see. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Look at that. What is man? It's You made him, you crowned him, you've given him. The Bible defines you and me properly, not as three parts. The Bible defines you and me as a creation by God Almighty that finds meaning when God Almighty reigns in who we are and what we do, 
period, totally, completely, body, soul, spirit, heart, mind, feet, hands, legs, toes, fingernails, long hair that needs to be cut, anything you got, the Lord reigns supreme if you want to be truly human and truly alive. That's, the Bible doesn't teach who we are by gazing at our navel, trying to figure out how many parts we are. The Bible teaches who we are by calling us into relationship with Jesus. That's the true body that Fleming was talking about today, not the substance in reality. And I got to tell you, if you get away from that, if you get away from it, it... Um, you, you lose the flow. Jesus said this is eternal life. That they know you. Not that you get a new spirit inside you. The Bible teaches that, that you, you have a spirit even if you're unregenerate and unsaved. And, and someone says to me, well, what about the Genesis passage that says on the day you eat of this you'll die? Well, the day they ate of it, they didn't die. Oh, yeah, they did. Totally. They were dead soul. They were a dead body. Oh, it didn't keel over yet, but they're dead man walking. Adam and Eve were not going to live forever. That regeneration of the body or however God was doing it within the Garden of Eden, it ended. And their body was decaying. Just like a chicken with its head cut off, it was still moving some. But it wasn't alive spiritually dead, soul dead, however you want to talk in terms, the heart, the emotion, totally lost, totally dead. And the only way to have life is to know Jesus. It's to be in relationship to Jesus. That's life. And you can have all the religion in the world you want, as Fleming said this morning, but if you don't know Jesus, you don't have life. The problem is we've got some difficulty because, all right, if you're, I, I don't want to embarrass you. You don't have to raise your hand on this. But if you don't mind raising your hand, don't look around if someone doesn't raise their hand and say, oh, they're going to hell. Okay, because I don't want anybody embarrassed. Some people just don't like to raise their hands and that's fine. I just would like a showing of hands if you're saved. Okay, now keep your hands up if you're saved and perfect. Okay, that's my point. And so here we are, a group of people, and we're trying to figure out why it is we can't do the things we want to do. And we're trying to figure it out why it is we do the things we don't want to do. And we're all going to rush to Lewis's office and say, okay, help me, I have this recurrent problem, would you please fix it? And unlike Jeff Shreve, whose response is, well, just stop. Lewis will listen to us and try to give us some insight to work through it. He may even use body, soul, and spirit to try and explain it within this theological framework. That's the way I learned it. But I got to tell you, that's not necessarily... All right, look. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Do, do, do you remember Lost in Space, Danger, Will Robinson? Most of you don't. Some of you are too young and some of you actually did useful things with your brain cells. 
But there is a real danger here. Because you're going to grow frustrated when you're not able to figure out why the answer doesn't seem to work for you. One of our pastors on staff and I were talking about this over lunch. And he said, you know, I reach, and and I have no idea where all the staff is on this. I haven't caucused them. And and don't try and figure out who this was because I eat lunch with a lot of them. Okay. I don't have, I didn't ask for permission, but I'm, I'm not sharing who it is because I didn't think to ask. But this person said to me, and this is why it's important. This is a a wonderful, godly man who said to me, you know, I started having problem with the spirit, soul, and body stuff because it just doesn't seem to really work in fixing who I am and who I want to be. And the reason why I suspect and, and, and my friend agrees and suspected is I... It would be so nice to put things so simply in a box. Francis Schaeffer wrote this incredible book, How Shall We Then Live? He got so many letters complaining because it's hundreds of pages. And he said, everybody who wrote him said, we opened it up and you never told us. Because there's not a simple formula. If it were as simple as spirit, soul, and body, we wouldn't have to use the substitute theory of mathematics to figure it out. God would have written it probably in Genesis 2. And it would have been consistent all the way through Scripture. And we wouldn't have to say, well, it doesn't mean it here, and it doesn't mean it here, it doesn't mean it here, but it does over here. And we start picking and choosing to put the scriptures together to make them say what we believe they should say. Instead of reading scripture. My friends, I got to tell you, here's where I am on this. God made me. And I don't understand how he did it fully. I know I've got these limbs, but I know if I lost my hand, I would still be me. I know I've got a brain, may not be very big. And though you may not believe it because of my profession, I know I have a heart. I've got these organs and the doctor tells me the heart functions to pump blood so that nutrients and oxygen can be carried through my system and toxins and poisons can be carried where they need to go to leave my system. That's what I've been told. I think they're right. I think I have a brain and somewhere within the gray cells of this head are things that explain not only chemically why some things taste better than others. I'm not a fan of liver and onions. I'm not. I gave them up for Lent and I live Lent. Dale Hearn told me yesterday he's figured out the way to eat. If it tastes good, don't eat it. 
That's his health diet. I mean, our brains, doctors are doing uh, functional MRIs, aren't they, Ron? Where they, they look at the brain and they can tell where the pleasure centers are in the brain. Does that mean they've located the soul? Here, here's, 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 look. God made you and me, and he made us to be in a relationship with him. He wants you in a relationship with him. He wants to walk with you each day. He wants to talk to you. He calls you by name. Before you were born, every day of your life was in his mind and in his book. He has figured out things he wants you to do that he's got no one else in the world to do. And it's who you are. And you've got a body and you've got a heart and you've got souls and you've got emotions and you've got willpower and you've got, you can, and you can bring them under the cross and into the relationship with Jesus or you cannot. And he calls all of you to be under the relationship of him. And you're going to struggle with it every day you're alive. Because it's not easy to do. We live in a fallen world. And we don't feel the way we ought to feel. And we don't think the way we ought to think. And we don't act the way we ought to act. Try as we might to do it. And that's just the way it is. But by the power of His Spirit, He is working in us, changing us gradually. And by His promise, of which the Spirit is a seal and a sign, He is going to redeem us. For eternity in a glorified being. We will be body, soul, spirit, whatever you want to call it. Whatever he decides. A glorified body and we are his for eternity. And that's the way it is. Coming attractions. If you all come back and you're not mad at me. We're going to talk about Paul on prayer. And then after that we're going to talk about the church. Here's the points for homes. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. That was not a reference to the fact, I believe, that we're made to be three people. That means we're made with personality and morality. We're made to be in relationship with God. That's relationship. Know God. And... Paul, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. That word heartily is the word soul in the Greek. Whatever you do, work your soul for the Lord. He means all that you are. This was a point for home last week on the soul, but I want to link it up now to a relationship with God. Whatever you do, do it in relationship to God. Because who you are, the Bible question doesn't answer the question, how did God make you up to be as a person? It does say, why did God make you up to be as a person? And you are, you are, Made to be in relationship with him. So whatever you do. Whether it's eating lunch today. Whether it's driving on the road. Whether it's going to the job. Whether it's talking to a neighbor. Do it all in your relationship with God. And let that permeate it. Don't be yourself. You're not. Jesus resides within you. Does he reside within your soul? Within your spirit? Within your body? Yes, yes, yes. 
The Spirit of God is upon you, within you, without you, and it should ooze out of every pore, and you should live your life in that relationship, finally. May God sanctify you completely. My prayer for you, Lord, may you sanctify us completely. May our spirit, our soul, our body, our mind, our heart, our limbs, our jobs, our relationships, our families, our friends, our finances. May everything we have, may everything we do, may everything we think be brought into a relationship with you, purified by you. And we long for the day when you complete that work. And we dwell with you eternally. Through Jesus our Lord. Amen.